my friend, you have found the Functioning Hot Mess Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Murray, life coach and author. I started this show to share life lessons and hot mess moments along with a few shenanigans to let you know you're not alone in this roller coaster of life. Each week, you'll get a solo episode or an interview to help you improve your self-confidence, create healthy relationships, or become a better parent. If you love what you hear, hit subscribe and I'll automatically show up in your downloads each and every week. All right, let's get on with the show. Okay, you guys, let me tell you a little bit about what I've done. The beginning of January, I decided I wanted to bring you more interviews with other people because I love people. I love talking to people. I love connecting with people. And people who want to be on my show typically are people who want to make a difference in the world. And I've really left it up to the universe to bring people into my my world, my field of vision, so to speak, who would connect with you, who connect with me, who say things that are in alignment with my values and the really the things that I want to bring to you. And I really kind of screen people and only bring you people that I feel will resonate not only with me, but also with you. When Alicia reached out to me the other day and we got, I I looked at what she's got and I really hadn't had a chance to meet her until we recorded this interview. And I cannot tell you how much I connected with her, with her message, how as we were talking, I legit felt my heart swell. Like I am so proud of her. I'm proud of the work she's doing. I am so excited for what she has ahead of her and the direction she's going and the value that this conversation and what she has to offer can bring to each and every one of you. In this conversation that she and I had, we talked about how she has a child with special needs, what that whole process has looked like for her, the work she's had to do on herself, what she has to offer parents and grandparents, and even the world through her books, through her coaching, through her courses, like this has the potential to impact so many people. And I'm so glad that she took the time to visit with me. We recorded this on a Saturday and, you know, we both took time out of our day to have a truly heartfelt conversation. And I really think you're going to feel that. I really think you're going to love this. So hang in here, take notes Feel the love. I hope you just absolutely love this conversation as much as I did. So without any more talk, let's get into this conversation I had with Alicia Ellison. Okay, I lied. One more quick thing. Super sorry for my audio quality as I go through. Alicia sounds great. So her audio sounds amazing. I used a different headset with my audio this time and it's not the best. So bear with me and know that in the future, the episodes will not have a poor quality of audio from me. So, all right, now let's get to the good stuff. All right, Alicia, welcome to the Functioning Hotness podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and I'm really excited to share your message and what you have that, that you offer to the world with the listeners. So let's just start out with getting to know you. Like, what is it that drives you what makes you feel alive? What do you do for fun? Like, help us know who Alicia is. Thank you, Tanya, for having me on the Functioning Hot Mess. I'm very excited to be here. Um, a little about me. I am a single mother and I love to read. I'm always reading or writing. I'm a person that probably has maybe 10 journals a year. I have a journal for work. I have a journal for my budgeting. I have a journal for, you know, just about everything. I write a lot. Um, I love spending time with my girls. I have a 13-year-old, which you can imagine, um, turning 13 during COVID was a bit of a challenge, um, but we managed. And I have a eight-year-old, Aria, um, and Aria has a special needs. So we're always on our toes and moving around. 
Um, since COVID, we've been highly isolated, but I do love to read, write, and I'm always taking some type of course. This is probably a, a fun fact. <laughs> there's so many courses now, and I'm obviously working on my own as well, but there's so many courses and so much knowledge so readily available that I find myself just, you know, hey, let me jump in this course. It's just 30 days and just learning something new. And I love that. To me, knowledge is everything. I'm always trying to, to gain some new information. So that's a little bit about me. I, I don't watch too much TV. If I watch TV, it's for sports. I love football. I love basketball. I really don't like the commercials, especially the medicine commercials. So if I watch any shows, I record them so that I can fast forward <laughs> through the commercials because I hate it. Um, but beyond that, that's that's pretty much me. I'm simple. I'm a homebody. You know, I'm relating to like everything that you're saying right now. I have I have all boys, but I have my youngest turned 13 as well during COVID. Wow. And it has been a little bit of a year from hell um, yes. for him. And then trying to figure out how to parent that. And, you know, he has helped me keep perspective because he's actually thrown out to me a couple of times like, but mom, you didn't have to do this during a pandemic. And I'm like, okay, good point. Like there's nothing that I can ever relate to for his age, this time, yep. everything that's going on. So I can relate to that. And totally agree. yeah. And the no, I'm not a TV person either. And <laughs> I feel like there's so much knowledge and I love books. I love writing. I love reading. And I'm like, yeah, I can be entertained with TV for a minute and watch something fun. But there's, I don't know, there's so much to learn. There's so many things I can intentionally go after. So I, yeah. I feel you totally there. So yeah. you mentioned that your eight-year-old has some special needs. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So my daughter, Aria, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And cerebral palsy is one of those diagnoses that is kind of vague. It's pretty much just saying it's some brain trauma going on. So it covers a lot. You can see a range of people that have cerebral palsy from quadriplegic, where they're unable to use their limbs, to fully functioning adults. And they may walk with like a slew or, or you know, have a limp, but you can't really tell. So cerebral palsy stretches across. And then we were told that she has a mutated gene. So this mutated gene actually was the cause of all of her delays and um, the genetic disorder that she has or condition is very rare. So when we were told about it, there were like 300 girls, mostly girls in the world that were diagnosed with this. And they also said that, you know, a lot of them were also diagnosed with cerebral palsy first. So totally something new for me, for my family, didn't know what to expect. Um, with my daughter, with her, her case was very uh, peculiar because she started out brown, beautiful brown baby like myself, and now she has no pigment. Like going through just, you know, growing up in this condition, it has pretty much ate away all of her pigment. So it was very challenging at certain stages of her life to be out in the world and you have this beautiful baby girl and then she ended up with vitiligo. I don't know if you know what vitiligo is. It's like the white spots on the mm -hmm. face. And then there were no, the white spots took over. There's no, no more black. And that's fine. But as a parent new to this world, it was very trying for me mentally because I couldn't, I couldn't understand. And of course, like many people, when we go through changes, we start to question God, like, God, what's happening? Like, and this wasn't my first child. So for me, this, I was expecting it to be, you know, another, another rodeo. I'm ready. Some of the clothes are going to be hand-me-down. I already have like girl clothes <laughs> ready to pass on. And this was like a, a shot to the chest because I wasn't prepared, but um, she's doing great. She's healthy. Uh, she's happy. And she does have some developmental delays. She is eight years old, but she's nonverbal. And we're just starting to move her around in a walker. And what I've learned through her is to focus on progress and not perfection. So I've, I've really refocused my whole life, especially regarding her, on progress. So the progress is everything that we look for and everything that we move towards in regards to her and her condition. You know. I, one of the things I thought of as you were speaking was, you know, especially having this be your second child, because 
baby number one, I think we, everything is new. Mm -hmm. Every single thing you go through is new. And even if you have people in your life who can give you ideas and help support you, you're figuring it out. Like everything is an experiment. And then baby number two, you do kind of feel like, oh, I've got this in the bag. So what was that initially for you when you had that initial diagnosis? Like, what did that feel like? What did you do? So, and you're totally right. And I'm listening to you and I don't know if you've ever seen, and I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but there was this Pampers commercial. I think it was Pampers commercial. And it was, it was going right along the lines with you, like baby number one, we're all careful. And baby number two, the wife is like throwing the baby in the shower with the husband. <laughs> it's like, okay, you get it. It's like, we just, we're, we're good now. We know the rodeo. And that was my thought process. Like I, I really was just ready to, you know, move along with my life. I'm going to have another child. And that was fine. The struggle came when not just the diagnosis, it took 14 months to get a diagnosis. So 14 months is a whole year of my child being delayed. So for example, I I want to illustrate to you so you kind of can understand. When you have a baby, you know that book, what to expect when expecting, right? And then the doctors tell you after you have the baby, you know, at four months, she should be rolling over. She should be lifting her head. They give you these milestones. She was not meeting any of these milestones. So we started going to all of these specialists and the specialists, they were not verbalizing to me what they assumed was the problems. What they would do is they would send me home with these doctor notes, right? And it had all these medical jargon and it had no idea what the heck they were saying. So I would Google all the big words and I started like as a mom researching on my own based off their doctor's notes. So after you know, 14 months and we're going through all of this therapy and we're going to all of these specialists, we're going to genetics, we're going to a neurologist, we're going to a gastroologist plus physical therapy, occupational therapy. And in my mind, I still don't know what's going on with my daughter. I think I, in this, especially in this society, we put, we become accustomed to just fixing it. I've worked in corporate America for a while. So when I had my daughter, I was used to, okay, identify the problem so we can fix it. So for mm-hmm. me, I just want to tell me what it is. Just tell me what it is. And finally they told me, and then I'm like, okay, so what's the plan? How do we fix it? Oh, there's no cure. That was rock bottom because my, my mind was so focused on just tell me what it is so that we can fix it so that we can have a course of action to get her back on track. And then when they said cerebral palsy and there's no cure, it was, it was devastating. And then a month after they told me cerebral palsy, my daughter had meningitis and was in the hospital for oh. almost a month. So mentally I was at a, at a broken lost place where I felt no one could relate to me. And I started to isolate myself little by little into like a corner where my mind and my thoughts just took me on a roller coaster. It was, it was not a good time at all. Yeah. I can imagine. I have a tendency to do that too, where it's like I withdraw, I get really inward because I'm stressed and I can't handle any of the outward. And I push people away, not in a, not in a, but I'm kind of like, I can't, I can't help you with your issue right now. I have to just take care of a hundred percent me and my immediate family. And it's, I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm like, I can't deal with even the good stuff, let alone any bad stuff. So I definitely can relate to that. And I think there's other, probably other parents out here too, who have had something similar where they're not sure they don't know what to do. How do you recommend they do some of that research on their own, because I feel like you too, where we go to the doctor and they, they give us a lot of, here's this medicine, here's this technique, do this, do this, but there's not a lot of education as to why or what you can do in addition. So what are your thoughts on that? How, how should people kind of look into things on their own? And I think that's an awesome question. And I think this is something that I feel strongly about for parents. And again, this is my beliefs. I'm I'm not speaking for you or anyone else, but I strongly believe that parents come before doctors, come before teachers, come before, you know, community people that, that give you insight amongst your children. I think we've become accustomed to this mentality that doctors know what's best 
for us and our children, know what's best for our health because we don't put forth the effort. But what we have access to now is amazing with technology. When I was younger and we were coming up, our parents didn't have that. And I understand why, why they got stuck in the, you know, the doctor knows what's best because no one was going to medical school and had access to this type of information. But we've had, you know, examples of doctors, and I can tell you my own experiences of doctors not necessarily knowing what's best. And at the end of the day, we have to realize that it's a job. Being a doctor is a job. <laughs> Being a parent is your life. It's your role. And as soon as you give birth to a child, you step into that role, whereas you're responsible for your child and their health. The doctor isn't. The doctor is on a clock. They're going to come see you, look at your chart, tell you X, Y, Z, and go to the next patient. So I always tell parents that it's your responsibility to use the resources that we all have freely available. Google, anybody can go on Google and type in something and research it. It may take time, but it's well worth it in regards to medication, in regards to diagnosis. For me, when I was in that dark place after hearing that my daughter had cerebral palsy, my refuge was, I need to know everything there is about cerebral palsy. I need to understand what it is. And and then I had to pull back because what we do as parents as well is that sometimes we get caught up in the designation. Sometimes we get caught up in the condition. Sometimes we get caught up in, you know, this is what's wrong with my child and we miss connecting with our children. And that's what was happening to me. I was so focused on cerebral palsy and, you know, what was her future going to be like and what can I expect? And I was missing that connection with her because I was looking at her through the diagnosis. And when I realized that I had to take a step back and say, you know what, let me just start to interact with her. And that's when she started showing me what she was capable of. The doctors were saying, oh, she's going to be quadriplegic. But at home, she was showing me that she was moving her arms and she was moving her legs and she was interacting with me. So as a parent, that's when I started to say, okay, you're a doctor and that's fine, but I know my child. So for parents, it has to have a balance where you can't just take 100% what the doctors are telling you. You have to also know your child, like interact with your child at home. They only see your child for however long you're there, you know, for an exam or a review. They're not living with them. You are. So you have to be observant and then pick up on little things that your children are capable of doing from around the house and make the best decisions based off that not based off, you know, what the doctors are saying all the time. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And I love, I love, love, love. I'm so connecting with what you're saying right now, because I truly believe that, yes, I absolutely love the medical field. I believe that it is incredible and has allowed so much. There's so much good there, but I also agree that as parents and specifically, well, moms and dads both, but I feel like there's an intuition that we have that tells us something's not right. And, or maybe, no, I don't think it's that. Like I am 100% believer of listening to your intuition mm -hmm. and following those things. And then I also find myself, I'm just like what you're, what you were describing where I kind of binge learn. Mm -hmm. So if I have something new, I get lost in looking yes. it up, learning about and then I start future tripping on it too, where just like what you're saying, it's like, what's their life going to be like? What problems is this going to bring to the future? And none of that is set in stone. There's no crystal ball. You know, there's no, I mean, how many times have we heard the stories of, you know, adults who go to the hospital and they're told they'll never walk again. And yet they walk out of the hospital, you know? So to me, the mind is so much more powerful than any type of education anyone can ever get. And I just, I'm just really resonating with what you're saying. And even looking for, I'm big into alternative things. So I do believe medication has a place and a purpose. And I also believe nutrition has a place and a purpose and exercise has a place and a purpose and being able to utilize all of those to help yep. kids. So when you um, kind of started doing this research on your own, trying to learn more about how you could support your daughter, what were some of the other things that you found that maybe hadn't been suggested to you through mainstream medical? So 
one of the things that I found, and this goes back to mindfulness and what we, we were speaking about, um, because not only was I learning about my daughter and her condition, but I also was struggling mentally with adapting and adjusting to my new life. This was a new normal. This was a new world for me. This was a world that I knew existed, but I wasn't involved in it. And here I was now a mom of a special needs child and I needed resources and I needed help and I needed to find groups and I needed to understand how to, to maneuver in this new world. Because what I thought was that, you know, I'm going to get this diagnosis. And I asked every doctor, okay, hey, can you point me in the direction of who can help me? Oh, no, I don't have a list of that. And so then it became, um, you know, a needle in a haystack. I had to, to work my way through. But throughout all of that, you know, because as parents, we put ourselves on the back burner. We put our health on the back burner to figure out what we need to do for our children. And because it's our responsibility, but one of the things that no one could have ever told me was the power of my thoughts and how that was going to greatly change my whole life, the whole situation, and help my daughter as well. And what I mean by that is that we all are energetic beings. And so the energy that I was giving off to my daughter when interacting with her was very confused, was very fearful, was very worrisome. And I started to crumble. I almost was suicidal. Not almost, I was suicidal before I realized that, hey, something's going on in your head, man, for you to think that, because that, I never, I've never been that person. So for that thought to be, and I mean, really strong, where I was in tears, broken down, really contemplating, that was the first time that I was aware of my thoughts. It's like, hey, what is this? And then from there, I, I began to do some self-reflection, uh, and I started reading Napoleon Hill. I started reading Errol Nightingale. I started reading um, some of the founding fathers that spoke about the powers of the mind. And there was one where he told a story about he had a son, and he had no ears, but he taught him how to hear through the vibrations of things that were going around. So the, the radio would be playing and he taught him how to put his hands on the table next to the radio and pick up the vibrations and read lips, but he had no ears. And through time, he was able to develop something and you know move forward. But it was that thought in his head that it was possible, that anything is possible to, to not just stay stuck in fear and give up hope that kept him moving forward. And that stuck with me, with my daughter. So throughout all the diagnosis, I always had this hope. I always had this, you know, this forward thinking that I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but whatever it does bring, I'm looking at it positively as opposed to fearful and negative. And that helped me, which in turn gave me strength, gave me, you know, the emotional wherewithal to deal with all the challenges that I was going through with my daughter. And it made me stronger so that I would, when my daughter would be hospitalized, and she was quite a bit when she was younger, I had the strength to speak back. At first, I, I was just letting the doctor speak at me and just, yes, yes, yes. But then I was like, okay, well, what does this mean? How is that going to impact her? Why are we doing this? No, I don't think we should do this. Why do, why do you want to put her on this medication for seizures? And she's never had a seizure. Oh, because she was shaking here. So it's a preventative. No, you don't need to prevent anything. We're not doing that. And I got that confidence as a parent that has helped me feel more strength with dealing with any, anybody regarding her because now I, I have that confidence mentally. And then when I'm going out into the world, it's like, okay, look, no, this is my child and I know her. I had a manila folder like this big and I would take it in a laptop bag to every appointment. And I'm like, no, I have her, I have her history, right? So you're not telling me nothing. I don't know. And if what you're saying, you're trying to put her on, doesn't make sense to me. We're not doing it. So you need to make me understand. So I first had to do some work on my mind and, and where I was at. And once I did that, oh, I was, <laughs> I was off to the races. I was stronger. I was, you know, more equipped for dealing with all the things I had to go through. I love that. And I love to see, you know, 
I mean, I know it probably felt like it was a long time, but in the big picture that was that transformation within you happened relatively quickly. So what were some of the things that you did to develop that? You know, you said that you were working on your mind and your thoughts. What did that look like? Oh, man. So today, (laughs) I know it's like where here's the laundry list. But, you know, honestly, I'm thinking, you know, as a listener, I'm always looking for things that I I can say, okay, I'm doing that or ooh, there's a new one to try. Yeah. And so for me, the, the beginning was learning how to be conscious of my thoughts. It sounds so easy, but every day, the majority of people aren't present. They're living in the past or they're living for the future. And today they're both illusions, right? They don't mm-hmm. exist. The only thing that exists was today. So for me, it started with, okay, how can I become conscious of my thoughts? And for me to do that, there were a few things I had to unlearn or eliminate from my life. And first thing I did was I minimized people that were negative and what I call energy suckers, which is, you know, they, they, they drain the life out of you and they don't care. They don't care because you allow it. So for me, I first had to work on setting boundaries for those type of people where I wasn't rude, but I really was like, okay, I got to go. Or, you know, I didn't answer a call or I didn't answer a text and I didn't feel guilty about it. Like Alicia, you have to put your energy first and that's okay. I picked up something along the way that says every morning, think about it as you start at hundred percent energy and everything that you give to people throughout the day is zapping some energy from you. So that helped me become mindful of my days. I cut out listening to the radio. I cut out watching the news, you know, things that were just not helping me. And it made me more fearful and and added more negativity into my life. I cut out. And then that helped me to meditate, quiet my mind. I started reading a lot more or listening to books that were positive. So what helped me find a balance was first minimizing the negative, the worry, the worrisome thoughts or the ways they were coming to me, because all the times it may not be us. It could be the outside world. Like I said, TV, radio, friends, family, they bring it to you. And we don't know why we're walking around so stressed and worried. It may not always be our stuff. Sometimes it's other people's stuff. So I cut that out. And then I put myself in a bit of a bubble where I just, you know what, sometimes it really does take isolation. Sometimes to to relearn things and revamp your your mental state, you have to take a step back because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is get in tune with you. And to get in tune with you, you got to you got to clear out the fog. You have to unlearn some beliefs that you probably were taught at five years old and you don't even know why you believe it still. You have to cut out the negative people and then sit with yourself, meditate and get get in tune with yourself. Be okay with being alone. I was one of those people that hated being alone. I would get bored and be like, okay, I got to go do something. I got to go run to the store or I just couldn't even sit still Mm -hmm. with my own thoughts because I just wanted to be moving. So for me, that was one of the big things. Be okay with being alone with yourself, being quiet, quiet your mind, quiet your surroundings and and getting in tune with you. And that that helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. I, I love all of that because, you know, we give other people so much authority. And, and, and that's a choice, like we get to give it, but we also get to take it away. And I don't mean like cutting them down, but I mean, where those, where those negative beliefs and thoughts come from, we automatically assume those are right. And when we really take a step back and say, why do they get to be right? You know, why do those negative people in the past that made me feel stupid or small or insignificant, who says they're right? You know, once But I think the key there is exactly what you said. It's mindfulness and self-reflection, because if we don't slow down enough to figure that out, we just continue as we always have. And so, yes, I love that. I love that you did all that work and it does seem small. And so a lot of people, I think they, they have that, oh, it's not a, it's not a big enough solution. That's not going to help me. And it's like, it's the little things that truly make the big difference. Yep. Yep. I think that every single book 
that I read and researched on my journey, it started out with this preface where it was like, I'm going to tell you what you need to do and you're not going to believe me because it's so (laughs) simple to do that people aren't going to believe me. But I'm going to tell you, you have the power and all of us have the same power to control our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions and the things we pay attention to. And that's pretty much it. It boils down to our thoughts, our emotions and the things we pay attention to consistently. And it's so simple and I think people are looking for something that is much more complex and they will believe in it. But it's the simple things that really make the big difference. Yes, exactly. So I have a couple more questions. So when you were, um, you know, initially you have your daughter, you get these diagnoses about, you know, about what she's got coming up. How did, so we talked a little bit about how that you know, it opened up a whole new world. It was scary, all of that. Did you feel guilty? Did you put any of that on yourself? Because I know a lot of people who they kind of do, they think that because their child has some special needs or something, you know, that they're going to need to work through, they feel it's my fault. Did you feel that? Oh my God, a hundred percent. And I, let me do a, a little more insight about my intimate story. When I had my daughter, Aria, I had just gotten married. I had Aria two months after I had just said I do. So again, my pregnancy was healthy. I just said I do. I'm in the honeymoon stage. I'm looking to have this baby and again, keep running. She was born with complications. Like she didn't leave the hospital with me. I left the hospital before her and it was unexplainable then. And so immediately hitting the ground running those thoughts were like on the day I gave birth, it went from happiness and joy to confusion and worry and fear because I'm what is happening. And from that day forward, not only did I carry guilt or shame because first off I'm the mom. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I carried her and I remember going to one doctor's appointment and he said, Oh, this can be, um, fetal alcohol syndrome or or fetal syndrome, something regarding drinking alcohol. And I know I hadn't, but again, I was so messed up in my mind that I started to think, well, damn, did I, did I drink while I was pregnant with her? Like, did I drink too much coffee or, you know, he said I could have a glass of wine, but I know I wasn't like, you know, drunk. And so I, my mind started to play these games with me. And then my new husband, you know, honeymoon stage, we were not married long enough to have that foundation. So we started to do this and we were like, you know, maybe it's your fault and your side of the family, or maybe it's your fault. And it wasn't something that we built upon. Our relationship became, you know, when is her next doctor's appointment or what time does she take her medication or what? And it it started to crumble. I began to create layers where I I, I went into my work I had pretty much stepped away from it. I buried her condition under my work, under, you know, volunteering because I couldn't face it because I carried so much guilt and shame about carrying her and not understanding her condition or where it came from. And it was it was a very trying time for me to get to the point to where I'm at now to say, you know what? It's all a part of God's plan. It's nothing that you can do or change about the past. And, you know, be grateful that she's here and it could be a lot worse and it's not. But I definitely carried a lot of guilt and shame for quite some time. And one thing about guilt and shame is it makes you hide. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you 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 feel naked in, in front of people. And so that contributes to you isolating yourself because no one knows you carry this guilt or shame, but in your mind, it's so heavy on you that you feel like you're the blame. So you 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 hide from people. I didn't talk about people at my job didn't even really know I had a child with special needs. I didn't talk about her or, or her condition. They were asked how she was. I'm like, oh, everything's fine. My family members would try to call and check on me. I didn't open up and talk to them about it. I I kept everything in because of the guilt and the shame. And what I will tell parents is that. Guilt and shame are useless emotions. Mm -hmm. They do not serve us at all. And they make us hide. They make us feel less than. 
And one of the biggest things is learning how to accept that whatever it is, it is what it is. I think um, Marcus Aurelius, a Greek philosopher way back in the day, um, I was reading one of his books and he says, there's no such thing as good or bad. It's our thoughts about it that make it so. And I, I, I contemplated on that for a long time. And I got to the point that, you know, it's not good or bad that my child has a special condition. It, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like if you can get to that point to say it is what it is, it's not good or bad. It is what it is. And let's move forward. Then that helps you with releasing unnecessary guilt and shame because guilt and shame is just our thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, telling us that something was bad and it's our fault. And so I struggled with that for a while. And I will tell parents that to work on it, try to pull yourself to that point of, you know, it is what it is, you know, it's in the past now. Yeah. And, and from right now today, how can I be the parent that I want to be? Exactly. Because I think we do get stuck in the blame, the shame, the guilt, Mm -hmm. the, and a lot of times I think we anticipate judgment. So that's part of why we hide because if I tell the people I work with or people know they're going to judge me. And so I'm trying to prevent that. So I'm Mm -hmm. hiding and it's like, maybe they are judgmental people and then they don't matter anyway, or maybe they're not. And I'm assuming they will be. And so, you know, we kind of create that ruckus within ourselves, but I, I do, I think that if we can say, you know, cause we all have crap in our past. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody who can walk up today and say, I am 100% guiltless in everything I've ever done. And so how can we look at that and say, you know, kind of like what you said, it is what it is. This is where we're at. Now, how can I parent forward intentionally? And speaking of that, you actually have a mindful parenting course. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your course. So my mindful parenting course is an introductory course that I'm launching in April. And it's pretty much everything that we spoke about. Uh, it's for parents of special needs, but it's also for parents of, of children that don't have special needs. And it's something where we focus on being conscious of ourselves and our parenting skills and our parenting ways and interacting with our children. Because you know, a lot of us were raised with the do as I say, not do as I do. And we're, we're living in a time where children just has, you know, they're a lot more advanced than we were. You know, they have access to all type of technology. They have access to all type of knowledge. They're faster. They're getting, you know, instant gratification from so many different things. And we can't continue to parent on the old parenting styles. We have to be able to self-reflect and adjust. So some of the things in my parenting course is learning how to identify fear a lot of parents parent out of fear. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is in our minds, we have the worst case scenario always first. And then we want to prevent that from happening. Mind you, we don't know that this is going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's what we think yes. may happen. And then our children suffer because of what's going on in our mind. I think there's one thing to be aware of what's going on in the world. And then there's another to be so fearful that you're, you're parenting out of fear because what happens is that you instill in your children fear. And then it's a cycle of fear. We're, we're scared to live life. And at the end of the day, guess what? We're all going to die, right? We're, we're here to die. So you, you have to balance your parenting style where you're able to instill in your children, a awareness, you know, like fight or flight. When the lion is on a hyena or, or on a gazelle, you need to run. Um, but you have to be aware that, okay, that's the lion. Your whole life isn't a lion chasing you. Sometimes we get into cycles where we're living life like we're running from lions the whole time. We're not running from lions. It's all in your head. You're fine. It's okay. You know, give your child some room to grow and, and learn skills. Sometimes we're crippling them because we don't even allow them to be children because we're fearful. So my parenting course, you know, helps us identify some of our unproductive thought habits is what I like to call them. They're habits that we have that that aren't productive. Like you're thinking the worst case scenario, which is an illusion. And then you're trying to prevent the illusion from occurring. Mm-hmm. Not helpful. So that's one of the things we focus on in, in the class. And then also self-care. 
Oftentimes, parents, like I said before, we put ourselves on the back burner so much that we know we need to get more rest. We know we need to eat better. We know we need to exercise, but we use being a parent as a crutch mm-hmm. to not take care of ourselves. And when we're not good to ourselves, we're no good to anyone else. So I also talk about in the course how to set habits and how to set good routines so that you put self-care in your daily routine, not just I'm going on a vacation and now this is my break. No, every day you're meditating. Every day you're moving for 20 or 30 minutes. Every day you're doing something to journal. And so that you're keeping your energy, you know, in alignment every single day. So we're talking about unproductive thoughts. We're talking about self-care. And then lastly, we're talking about dreaming, (laughs) dreaming big. For me, our imaginations is the most beautiful thing ever. And sometimes parents cripple kids by like killing that imaginative thought process that they have. You know, you have imaginated a friend and they're like, oh, you shouldn't have an imagination. What I found is that to manifest things in your life, you have to first be able to see it in your mind. And some of the things we see in our mind, again, is the worst case scenario. So we're going to identify how you look at the worst case scenario and flip it so that in your thoughts, you're only thinking of what you want, what you would like to have, what you want to move towards that's positive and that's going to benefit you. And I think parents... With our children, sometimes we look towards the worst. So I I want to change that where, you know, what type of relationship do you want to have with your child? Keep that in your mind. Keep where you want to move towards in your mind. And then you will move towards that, you know, effortlessly. But it all starts with your thoughts. So that's my mindful parenting course. We break it up into modules, but we really dig into, you know, identifying unproductive thoughts. Um changing those into productive thoughts and and how you can have tips and tools to catch your thoughts because the mind is tricky the mind is very tricky it's the great trickster and you know it'll it'll have you going crazy but once you're able to observe your thoughts it becomes a little amusing at least for me it's just like okay there's that thought again here we go um <laughs> and, and then can- after a while you're like where did that even come from exactly it's been so long since I've had that why am I there now Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes it becomes something that you can grow from personal growth. You know, you can be able to grow just based upon yourself and no outside noise. You don't need people to tell you how to be you. You mm-hmm. learn how to be yourself and you learn parenting, you know, how to better parent based off just your self-care, being mindful of your thoughts and changing them to to productive thoughts. Again, very basic simple mm-hmm. things, but with the right tools, it'll come easy. Mm-hmm. And that's and what know, the course is. Yeah. And I'm thinking not only would this be amazing for parents, but also grandparents. Oh, yes. Because, you know, there's a lot of us who, I mean, my youngest is 13, my oldest is 19. So I'm still in the parenting phase. But I don't know, at some point, I'll be in the, gra- in the grandparenting yeah. phase, too. Yeah. And, and you're right, like, the way we raise kids today is completely different. So by the time I am a grandparent or for the listeners who already are grandparents, this would be great for them as well. And for all of us, because they're, you know, even I have three kids and none of them are the same. I have to parent each one differently. And so fast forward to when I'm a grandparent, it's going to be kids that aren't the same as my kids and learning the whole thing all over again. And, And that's such a great resource. And then what I really like about all of this too, one of the things you, you mentioned when you were talking about the dreams, and I think of how many women that I work with who put their dreams on hold and put them aside because they're a parent. And while I understand where they're coming from and I get that, I kind of look at it also as how do you think your kids are going to feel about that? Like, Yes, but I believe, I truly believe to my core that there's a way to do both and how to be a good mom as well as work towards your dreams, live towards your dreams. And we don't necessarily have to sacrifice. And I think big picture, you know, I know at least for me, I don't want to look back at my parents and be like, because you had me, you didn't get to live your dreams. Like, don't put that on me, you know? And I think our kids, we, our kids deserve the same thing. It's not, 
on their shoulders that we're not choosing to live our dreams. It's like you mentioned, it's fear, whether it's fearful parenting or fear of the dream or whatever, we do kind of put parenting as an excuse as to why we're not living up to our own potential. And I just see so much great value in this offer that you have. I think that's amazing. Thank you. I I think to piggyback on what you're saying, um, I think it's, I think it's easy uh, to get caught in the, I'm putting everything aside. Like I said, how we easily put ourselves on the back burners. I mean, we live in a society that kind of, it shows us routes to take mm-hmm. and to, to fall into, right? We have people that I'm too young to do that, or I'm too old to do that, or I'm too fat to do. You're not too anything, right? Mm-hmm. You're capable and you're so, so more powerful than you know you are. And that's the thing. We are not conscious of our own power because we've been conditioned to get power from outside of ourselves. And, yes. and, and that's that's the draining factor. We think that, you know, I'm doing so much for everybody that I forget about me. And that's just the way it is. But it's not like you have the power to simply, like you said, from day to day, do something as simple as set a routine. You can set a routine that for two hours a day is Tanya time. And I'm going to work on my podcast and I'm going to work on my book or I'm going to journal two hours a day. And then the momentum and the compound effect from two hours a day will totally add up. But it's almost like we're conditioned to to get into this 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 path of parenting. And it's like, you know, I have to focus 100 percent. But the truth of the matter is that 100 percent of the day you're not parenting. You're, mm-hmm. you're not. There are times where your child is in school or they're they're in an activity and you may be sitting watching TV or you may be sitting. You know what I mean? And, and that's where it gets hard because you have to really hold yourself accountable, self-reflect and be disciplined enough to say, you know what, I'm going to make a change. But it starts here. Mm-hmm. If you have that crutch of I'm a parent, it's easy to get on the couch. Oh, this is my relaxed time. I'm going to watch a TV. And, you know, I hate to say this, but we become accustomed to being unconscious. Yes. You watch TV, yes. you're not conscious watching TV. You're watching TV unconsciously. You know, you, you don't want to think. You want to sit down and you don't want to think. And so it becomes hard to change that routine to, okay, I'm going to consciously work for this hour. I'm going to turn off the TV. I tell some people, you know, if you really want to do it, make it hard. You don't want to watch the TV. You want to change your routine, hide the remote, take the batteries out of the remote. So if you have to watch TV, now you got to first put batteries in the remote to turn the TV on. And you don't want to do all of that. You just want to sit down and, you know, have some lazy time. So I think it's easy to say I'm a parent, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm disabled. I have, you know, it's easy to use a crutch as an excuse, um, but it's harder to hold yourself accountable and be disciplined to say, you know what, I have an extra hour every day or I can stay up late. You know, I'll put the kids to bed at eight and I can stay up till 10 mm-hmm. and, and do this while they're asleep. It's possible. But you first have to have that here, you know, knowing that it's possible. Yeah. And I feel like it's a shift because we all want the easy button. Of right? course. I do. I want the <laughs> I want the button that I can push that my house is instantly clean. Oh my goodness. You know, there's food on the table that I didn't have to cook. You know, the parenting, like we all want that easy button. And so, you know, kind of like what you said, if you make it hard and so that you do have time to get on the treadmill or go for a walk outside or whatever, that you can use that time better because easy now equals hard later. Like at some point you're going to have to do the hard stuff. And especially like with health, even if you sit there and watch that hour of TV, that's fine. Or you could put on a podcast and put some earbuds in and go for a walk for that hour instead. And how's that going to affect you in the long run? Because you're going to prevent illness later or, you know, for me, exercises for my mental health, that is what helps me become a better mom because Mm -hmm. I'm doing things that support me so that. I feel better. And when I feel better, I parent better. I act better. I'm a better girlfriend. I'm a better whatever. And so, oh, I just love, I love what, I just love this whole conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You are so speaking my language and I'm just like, 
oh, I want every parent to hear this. You know? <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, you also have some books yes. that you offer. Tell us about your books. Okay, so my first book that I wrote was Aria's First Day of School. And my second one was Aria's Trip to the Water Park. Now, both of these books are within what I call the Aria's Adventure series. And what prompted me to write these books were, I remember growing up and we would be in public places and I would see someone with a disability, whether it be a wheelchair or with one arm. And as a kid, you're staring. And my mom, she would say, it's not polite to stare. And she would turn me around and we would go on our way. But there was never a conversation as to why are you staring? You know, what are you curious about? You know, let's let's have a discussion. And fast forward to me with Aria, I started to pick up on that. Every time I will be in public, there will be a child staring, pointing, looking and the same thing still occurred like years later I still saw parents just you know turning them around and going about their way but to me I knew that they're curious so I wrote these books and I went into elementary schools and I read them to like first to third grade and and then we had a discussion about it so Aria's first day of school was just it it talks about cerebral palsy it talks about how you know she was in kindergarten and she was the only one that was different in a wheelchair and how it was different from her classmates but how they accepted her and like inclusion. So both of the books are pretty much on inclusion of differences, but then it also gives a little bit at a a lower level for kids about cerebral palsy. And then in the second book about vitiligo. And I love the second book. Both books are based on our life. Um, The second one, we went to a water park and this is when Aria's skin had vitiligo. And I remember two kids came up to me. The first one, all the kids are always so concerned. He was like, oh my God, is she okay? And I was like, yeah, she's fine. And he's like, well, what's wrong with her? And I was like, nothing's wrong with her. She's just like you. And he looked down at himself, right? At his skin. He had on trunks. So his, his <laughs> he had on those shirts. So he looked down at himself and he looked back up at me with like a confused face, like, no, she's not. And he shook his head and he ran off. And then the second one was like, did she outgrow her skin like this was the innocent question that you know the kid oh my god did she outgrow her skin and that to me was so sweet I had to put it in a book because I'm like they're they're clearly concerned they just don't understand so I put it in a book in a manner for children to understand but also for parents that don't know how to have those conversations with their children to start having those conversations about differences so mm-hmm. that to me is always like very close and true to my heart i love you know going to schools or talking to girl scouts or whatever on those books because it starts the conversation and then i have this one is my most recent one fix your own crown love it <laughs> and this is my self help book because of my story. Like I really went through a lot and I'm to a place now, my daughter's eight. So eight years I've gone through, you know, unlearning, relearning, calibrating. Um, And I think you said something about exercise helps you, eating right helps you. Getting to that point of knowing you, I call fixing your own crown. Because sometimes we're so pulled in the world and we let everybody tell us what we should do. We really don't know what is our point. Like, what do we need to be at 100 for everybody and have a good day and respond to life, not react and be cursing out people in traffic that cuts you off or anything? Like, you can (laughs) remain even keel. And for me, Fix Your Own Crown is kind of, it's a guide for getting to that place of, okay, this is what I need every day to be good. I need to exercise. I need to eat, right? I need to get up early in the morning and start my day before the rest of the the world starts their day. But those little things is is what I put into this book, like jewels to help you consciously tune into you. Oh, that's awesome. So you you have your mindful parenting course, you have these books. Are there other ways that people can work with you? 
Yes. Uh, I also do speaking, uh, speaking events where I come and I speak on mindful living. So everything I'm doing is about mindfulness, mindful living, um, present, staying present. And if we're looking towards the future, we're looking with positive, the most positive um, insights or thoughts possible, not fear or worry. And we're learning how to use tools to keep us present. Uh, I speak, you can email me uh, at alicia.ellison at ariasplanet.org. I also have social media at alicia underscore ellison 613 and ariasplanet at ariasplanet on Instagram. I do stuff with our nonprofit for special needs children. Uh, right now is the month of Cerebral Posley Awareness Month. So all of these books are actually on sale for $49.99, but with a discount today for all of your listeners um, for the month of March to celebrate Cerebral Posley Awareness. Um, and, and I just love meeting with people. I'm, I'm trying to calibrate as far as this whole business thing. For me, I just want to uplift, you know, and, and spread positivity and help people become more conscious of themselves. Oh, that's awesome. So how do they get the discount? So you can go to mindfullyunique.org. And when you check out what products, it should be a, a little coupon area where you can put hot mess 10. Awesome. And you'll get the, the discount. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank oh, thank you so much. I have absolutely loved this conversation. Thank and you. I really feel like, I feel like I could talk with you all day. I really <laughs> do. I'm like, there are so many things that you have said that have legit lit up my heart. And I'm just like, yes, I love <laughs> all of this. Yeah. So before we end, though, is there anything else that you would want the listeners to know? Well, um, for me, I I always try to tell people mindfulness. So we've been talking a lot about mindfulness, and I I just want to clarify exactly what that means, because I think this is somewhat of a new word that is being thrown around a lot more. And mindfulness is just being consciously aware and consciously aware of people that we interact with day in, day out. And the fact that everyone is individual, no one thinks like you, Tanya, we can, we can be here, but your thoughts are going through your own lenses of perceptions that you've lived your life through. I think too many times people are unable to interact with each other because they expect people to know what's going on in their mind. And we don't communicate effectively enough with each other to just tell them what's going on in your mind. No one is in your head. You cannot expect anyone to assume exactly what you're thinking because you're the only one with your life's perceptions, beliefs, you know, things that you've experienced. So going in and out of your day be mindful of this and try to stay present because there's so much beauty in present. There's so many opportunities that lie right in front of you in today. And we're missing them because in our minds, we're stuck in the past or in the future. So my hope for all of your listeners is to try to practice. It is what it is regarding the past and that all things are possible regarding the future, but to stay in today. Remain present because that's where the beauty lies. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much. Yes. Thank you, Alicia. And I will have in the show notes how people can find you and follow you and all the discount information and everything. So it will make it super easy for them to connect with you. But I really do want to thank you again, Alicia, for being here and taking the time. I truly feel like there's so much value in our conversation today. And I hope that. We have parents who reach out to you and get into your parenting course and get the books and, and really help spread your message as well. Thank you so much, Tanya. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Talk about some awesome value. I just loved what she had to say, how she talks so much about mindfully parenting and the benefits and how to do it. Like there was just so many nuggets of wisdom in this and inspiration. I'm so thankful that Alicia chose to come on the show with me and share what she had to share with all of you. So in order to reach her, 
Again, you can go to mindfullyunique.org, and if you choose to pick up some of her books for yourself, for a classroom, for an office, anything like that that you have where those could be beneficial, you can use the coupon code HOTMESS10 to get 10% off your order. So I do hope you check that out. You can visit the show notes, and I will have some links in there to make it super easy for you. So again, super sorry for my terrible audio quality. For me to go back and edit that was like, oh... It was nails on a chalkboard because it was terrible. But rather than scrap it or try to redo it, I chose to, you know, practice what I preach and say that it's perfectly imperfect. So here you go. There you have it. And thank you for being here. And I will be back in your downloads next week. 